0: So today, I was asked to talk on mission, which is a big topic, Um, a very big topic, and so I've uh, made it a bit more specific. Um, I am talking about today, I can't actually see the slide, okay, Um, cool, so I am talking today about the fact that we are all on a mission. And uh, by the end of the, serve, uh, this, the preach, this talk, I hope that uh, you understand this title—that we are called to be uh, to be living for His glorious mission, and what that means, what living means, what glorious means, what mission means. And so, um, let's hope this button works. Tell me if it changes. Great. So um, now, when we think of mission, we often go to that text in Matthew 28:19. It was conveniently. On the, uh, at the end of the, the video that was just shown you know, go out into all the world and make disciples of all nations baptising in the name of the Father the Son of the Holy Spirit. That, that tends to be the verse that we go to a lot for mission but this verse here uh, again Jesus said peace be with you as the Father has sent me I am sending you and with that he breathed on them and said receive the Holy Spirit. Now what we think of as the Great Commission that I talked about before, that's in Matthew. But in John, this is the Great Commission of John. And it feels to me that this is actually quite vague, but also staggering. As the Father sent me, that's talking Jesus. So as the Father sent Jesus, Jesus is sending his followers. And and that's that claim here. That's that crazy thing that Jesus is saying. As the Father sent Jesus, so Jesus is sending... Uh, you and that's you. If you are a follower of Jesus, then He is sending you. And it's really interesting here because we get to find out a little bit about this mission because we can say, well, what, what is my mission? What's He sending me to do? Well, He's He's sending you in the same way that the Father sent Him. So then we have to ask the question, right? In what way did the Father send Jesus? In what way did the Father send Jesus? What would you? I don't know what you would say. We'll talk about a few of the different options in a minute. And the second question then takes us into: In what way is Jesus sending us? And we can. The first question leads to answering the second question, and then finally we can say: And what is holding us back from being sent in this way? So the first question: There are many ways to uh, answer and think about this question. In what way did the Father send Jesus? We might think about the fact that uh, the Father sent Jesus to die for our sins. We might think about the fact that Jesus uh, uh, was sent to uh, uh, to show us how to live a good life. We might think that Jesus was sent to um, to yeah to take away our sins, to heal, to do exorcisms. I don't, I don't know to teach and show really good teaching, to fulfil the Old Testament. You may come up with all these different answers about why and in what way the Father sent Jesus. To defeat death, you might also say. But um, my my conviction is that all these different things that Jesus uh, was sent to do come under this bracket of showing the glory of God. That when Jesus came, he was sent to demonstrate and show the glory of God. And there's this kind of, uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about this kind of weird balance, that in one way Jesus showed the glory of God, and in one way he he so showed it that he was the glory of God, that Jesus actually was the very glory of God. So, has it changed? Yeah? Okay, so here's a a quote just to define the glory of God for a second. I like this quote from John Piper that I heard the other day. He said, the glory of God is his greatness, his beauty, and his worth on display. Mm. Just to keep you guys awake, let's say that together. The glory of God, start again. The glory of God is his greatness, his beauty, and his worth on display. So when I say the glory of God, I might actually mean, I'm meaning, I define that as greatness, beauty, and worth. That being shown. And so we know that God is great and we know that he is beautiful and we know he is worth. And so when we see Jesus, we see this, these, this amazingness, this awesomeness. That was my initial definition, by the way. I thought, what's my definition of glory? God's awesomeness. That's not a very good uh, definition. I prefer John Piper's. So when we think about the glory of God, we think about These things. And so when we say that Jesus showed us what God is like, I think that's another way of, showing, of saying that he was the glory of God. Jesus displayed these things, right? Jesus displayed God's greatness, his beauty, and his worth. It should say up there, John 1, John chapter 1, verse 14. And we're spending a lot of time in the Gospel of John today, so if you have Bibles, you can kind of flick around the Gospel of John if you want to. But all the verses will also be on the screen. So it says here in John 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory. You may know that that word dwelling up there is related to the Old Testament word for tabernacle. Yeah, this uh, dwelling place of God amongst the Hebrews where the, uh, the presence of God, the, the, what they call the shekinah glory, this visible cloud... That you could see uh, appeared uh, in this tent, this tabernacle, in the wilderness, and you can read all about that in Exodus. And in the last few verses of uh, the, lo- the last five verses of, of the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 40, it talks about this uh, this glory cloud coming down and them seeing this glory, and it led them through the wilderness. And so, this glory was something visible, something you could see. And so, now in John 1 verse 14, we see this glory put in a man and shown for all the world to see and so everything jesus did as we will hopefully see everything that jesus did was pointing to this glory it was manifesting this glory next verse we have here hebrews 1 verse 3 the sun the sun as in jesus is the radiance of god's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word So Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He is the radiance, and to to use the definition we had before, the sun is the radiance of God's greatness, his beauty, and his worth. He is showing that to us. When we read about Jesus, we see the glory of God on display. Moving on, looking at Jesus' life. In John 7, verse 18, Uh, It says, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Then the next one says, I do not seek my own glory. That's what it says in John 8, 49. But a few verses later, in verse 54, it says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is the Father who glorifies me. So the Father sent Jesus to seek the Father's glory. Jesus, he was the glory of God, everything he did showed the glory of God and uh, these amazing attributes of God and in everything he did, in everything Jesus did, he was trying to glorify God. So every single time he healed, every single time he spoke, every single time he did a miracle, every single time, everything as we will see, he was glorifying the Father. That was his aim. That was his constant focus. And he did it perfectly. And he's the only person that did that perfectly. Now, as we think about all these things, we think about, yes, Jesus healed. Yes, he, he spoke authoritatively. Yes, he did all these things. But it was all leading somewhere, wasn't it? We see throughout the Gospels, it's all leading somewhere. And it leads us to the cross. And in John 12, you, you, Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that he is heading for the cross. And he feels it. And his soul is troubled. So in John 12, 24, it says, Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father save me from this hour but for this purpose I have come to this hour Father glorify your name then a voice came from heaven I have glorified it and I will glorify it again so even in his anxiety and fear of dying a severely painful death on the cross he was still glorifying the Father's name living to glorify God that was his focus and he did it so perfectly that the father says I have glorified it and that must have put a smile on Jesus' face when he heard, Mm. hey the father has glorified his name, yes because Jesus wasn't about himself Jesus was about his father's business we sometimes say, but he was about his father's glory I have glorified it, the father said and I will glorify it again, he will glorify it again, when again at the cross this is all leading up to the ultimate moment of Jesus' glory on the cross. I like uh, I like this in this quote. I'm not advocating advocating. Yeah, I'm not supporting John MacArthur by sharing this quote, but I really like what he says here. He says we almost exclusively think of the cross in regards to our own life, to impact it, to its impact on us who believe. Christ died for us, we say. Christ died for us, we sing. He died for our salvation. He died for our eternal glory. He died to rescue us from judgment and hell. And that and that is absolutely true. But that is only a byproduct. That is only secondary. That is only a corollary big word. To the fact that primarily he died for God. He died for God. Just to hear that statement, Christ died for God may be a bit new and cause wonder in our minds. And that in itself is a recognition that we haven't dealt with it as we should have. And I've added the uh, the, quote, uh, the, the Bible verse. Uh, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. When Jesus died on the cross, no one took his life from him. But he laid it down freely. He took the steps to the cross. And he did it all for the glory of God. Always for the glory of God. And then he got there and he said, It is finished, I've done it. And I feel like as well as him saying it is finished, your sin is forgiven, death is defeated, he's also saying it is finished, I have glorified him. I have glorified God. We think about this fact that actually Jesus is crowned when he's on the cross, isn't it? It's Jesus' moment of glory too. You know, when we think about Jesus uh, being enthroned, he was enthroned on the cross, he was lifted up and they put a crown of thorns on his head. And they said, put a plaque that says this is, king of, this is the king of the Jews, and they put it in different languages. This was his enthronement, and his enthronement was a, a moment of suffering, but all for the glory of God. Because he knew that that was the way to glorify God, was to do it through his suffering. In such a strange way, and we may not fully understand that, but that was the way, and a strange way to show glory. But, uh, but it's a beautiful way. The cross is a beautiful sacrifice of love, and that showed the glory of God. Going back to our the verse that we're looking at today, again Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, which we've discussed a bit now, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So in the same way that Jesus, in everything he did, was demonstrating the glory of God, when he healed, he was demonstrating the glory of God, when he taught, he didn't speak on his own authority, but he was he was doing it for the glory of god when he did when he went to the cross he wasn't doing it for his own glory but he was doing it for the glory of god so for us there's this crazy statement from jesus i am sending you so we are being sent to display it's crazy we are being sent to display the beauty greatness and worth of god Remember my definition, the beauty, the greatness, the worth of God. We are being sent to display the beauty, the greatness and the worth of God. Through observing the way we speak and act, people might start to think that there's something strange going on with us. Because we're carriers of the glory of God. People may start to look at our lives and think, hey, this guy's a bit odd. There's something a bit special about that. Not special, but special um, and beautiful and amazing and here are some verses uh, about the fact that we are we share in this glory of god it says in john 17 verse 22 this is in Jesus' high priestly prayer this last prayer about the sending of his holy spirit before he would go and die on the cross and he says i have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one we've been welcomed into the family of god welcomed into the trinity you could say And we can now demonstrate God's beauty, worth and greatness in 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 an amazing way. Next verse And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit So through that Spirit from the Lord we're being transformed to be ever more glorious pointing to the lord's glory always we are displaying we are look at me you, we should be getting to this point as we mature in our faith and as we grow and develop where we can say look at me well we shouldn't say look at me but you know what i mean <laughs> we should say lord i want to display your beauty and your worth and your greatness to really uh, hit at home the last verse here uh, now if we are children then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory So, this, and, and the verse before that the context of Romans 8 is talking about the spirit making us children of God and then it goes on to say well if you're children then you're heirs and if you're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ then you can share in the sufferings in order that you may share in his glory do people see Jesus through you Do people see the beauty and the worth and the greatness of Jesus through your life? It's challenging. I am intending to be challenging. (laughs) So if you're feeling challenged, that is the aim. And I'm challenged by these verses. I'm challenged by this. The next, uh, Going back to some of the verses we've already seen and applying them to our own lives. John 7 verse 18. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. So here... Am I speaking... If I want to be a Christian and follow after God and follow this commission that we're talking about today, in the same way that Jesus was sent by the Father, I'm being, I, I have been sent by, by Jesus. So, or you have been sent by Jesus. And so Jesus didn't speak of his own authority. I mean, he could have, right? He was a son of God. But he didn't. He spoke on his Father's authority. And in the same way, we shouldn't really be speaking and teaching on our own authority but actually we speak on God's authority, Jesus' authority. Because we're not seeking our own glory when we speak. I'm not just talking about preaching or anything, I'm talking about in all our speech. We are not seeking our own glory, we're seeking Jesus' glory in all things. Next verse. I do not seek my own glory. And then if I, later on, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing, it is my Father who glorifies me. My glory is nothing. Jesus said that. <laughs> my glory is nothing. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. How much more, if Jesus had to say my glory is nothing if I glorify myself, how much more should we say if I glorify myself? My glory is nothing. To change it to, to the words that I'm using today, the beauty, worth and greatness is, is like glory. Jesus could have spoken of his own beauty, worth and greatness, but he didn't. He spoke of the Father's. And we shouldn't speak of our own Beauty, worth and greatness, but we should speak of Jesus's. It should be on the tip of our tongue. I, I, I feel like today, especially, not especially in the church, but also in the church, it's in the world a lot, but um, especially in the church, there's lots of boasting in our own beauty and our own worth and our own greatness. I think there should be much more boasting in God's beauty and his worth and his greatness. We look at that verse in John 12, 24. Now is my soul troubled, what shall I say? Do we ever feel like our soul is troubled? I know I have. Um, sometimes I want to say, Father, save me from this hour. And maybe that's, maybe that's when I stop. Save me from this hour. That's all I'll say. But I don't go on to say, but Father or Jesus, glorify your name. And it's in that pain and suffering and anxiety that we may, in fact the Bible says that we will go, go through as followers of Jesus that we will glorify the Father as we commit ourselves to Him, glorify Jesus as we commit ourselves to Him. So, so far, looking back as 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 we've gone, we can see, we can understand that the Son, is, uh, the Father, sorry, that Jesus glorified the Father, and so we glorify Jesus, and we can speak uh, what Jesus said with authority. We can seek His glory and we can display him we don't glorify ourselves we wait for Jesus to do it so there is a promise in the Bible that he will glorify us and he will lift us up and we look forward to this this day when we're with him Um, and that is the promise and so in the same way that uh, that the father uh, that Jesus glorified the father but then he was resurrected and brought into his full glory and full beauty and fully displayed so we too will end up in that place that through the suffering we may go through now as we glorify Jesus' name along the way he will glorify us In the long term. So Jesus displayed the Father's glory. And now we have been commissioned. That word commissioned. I I think it's Latin. It's not in the Bible. But commissioned is related to the word being entrusted. So when we talk about our commission. We talk about responsibility that's been entrusted to us. So now we have been commissioned. Entrusted with the honour of displaying Jesus' glory. Wow, what a responsibility. Um, Remember that this is... Uh, This commission that's given in John 20 is after Jesus' resurrection. The tomb is empty. So if you've seen the empty tomb, if you've seen the victory of Christ, you've seen the resurrected Lord, then you're in this position where we know that um, when we see him, we recognise that there's a call to our lives. When we see him, we recognise that there's a call to follow in Jesus' footsteps. There's a call to follow in that glory that he did towards his father, so we do to Jesus. I was listening to a delirious song the other day, an old album I found. And there was a song uh, that the chorus went, He will not be forgotten, be forgotten, talking about Jesus. And I remember, I used to listen to this song as a child, not child, teenager. And I used to think, well, Jesus won't be forgotten. Like, how can God be forgotten? That doesn't, it didn't make any sense to me. But now, I, but when I was listening to this time, this time, I felt like it was more of like a battle cry like I won't won't let the message of Jesus be forgotten Jesus has done everything Jesus perfectly glorified the Father he took my pain and sin on the cross why would I ever let him be forgotten and so I saw it as a battle cry and we have to uh, remember uh, in John 20 the, the commission it follows directly after saying that Jesus breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit there is a direct link Within the commissionings, the uh, the go outs uh, of Scripture, when it says go out and do this, go out and do that, to a link, it directly links to the receiving of the Holy Spirit. That you can't, we can't do this. I mean, you're probably all saying, thinking, "Wow, this is a big responsibility. I'm not sure I can do it." And that's my attitude to to it. But He gives us the Holy Spirit primarily because He knows that we need it. He knows that we need that Holy Spirit to be able to empower us. In this mission, empower us so that we can glorify Jesus the way that He uh, deserves. That we can begin to think less of ourselves and think more of Jesus in every moment of our lives. So, it's spirit given, and then, you know, this this call to live for Jesus' glory isn't just some kind of meditation—just meditate on the glory of God—but it's an action. There is an expectation here to actually go out and live. These these disciples are supposed to go out. Into the world and act and do something. So there is, an, there is an action. And we see that especially as we go on to um, chapter 21 of John. And we look at the context of Peter. Um, Peter, a uh, really close disciple to Jesus, but made a lot of mistakes. And you may know that he denied Jesus three times, right when Jesus needed him most, right when Jesus was being crucified. Or, or going through the courts and things, Peter, his best friend, was denying him. And so there's even after this commission, after the Spirit has been given to Peter, and he's been given this commission, he's back fishing in John chapter 21. He's back at this lake at, his original job, doing the same kind of thing as he was doing before. It's almost like he'd never come into contact with the living Lord, the living Jesus. Because when we come into contact with the living Jesus, our lives are naturally changed, right? But Peter's back at, with the other disciples, but I'm focusing on Peter here. Back, just back fishing. And so we're just going to read through this. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He says, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt, some versions say grieved, because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God then he said to him, follow me focus on the first line there what does it mean when Jesus asked asking do you love me more than these, what is these and I read, some, I read a commentary about it and they were arguing about what these means and it was interesting, uh, is these fishing do you love me more than fishing <laughs> they just had breakfast, do you love me more than breakfast <laughs> maybe it was the other disciples there, do you love me more than the other disciples you no, know, you know that I love you and do you love Jesus more than your job bacon I don't know what there is in your life your friends do you love Jesus more than that and then I'm moving this down to, to a few lines down when it says Peter was hurt or grieved as I mentioned and why was, Jesus, why was Peter grieved May, uh, when Jesus it was the third time Jesus asked why was he grieved maybe it's because he was like Jesus are you really doubting my love for you you've had to ask me this question three times Was he upset that Jesus was doubting his love? Would Jesus doubt his love in this situation? Because he's not doing anything. He's just fishing. He's, just, he's got this commission, as we saw in the previous chapter. We've seen there isn't law, but now he's off fishing. I think I would kind of doubt Jesus, uh, Peter's sincerity if he'd just gone back to his old job. Does Jesus doubt your love? Does Jesus need to ask you three times, do you love him? can he see through the way that you live your lives that you clearly do love him? He would never dare ask you this question because he just knows. But actually, if Jesus looked at your life, would he be able to see, yeah, this, this, this man, this woman, this child loves me? Another reason why maybe uh, Peter was upset was because it was reminding him of the fact that just as Jesus had asked uh, Peter if he loved him three times, it was kind of reversing, some people suggest, the denial of Peter. Uh, Peter's denial of Jesus three times so maybe it was reminding Peter of the way that he had denied Jesus three times have we ever denied Jesus? that's a big question have we ever not spoken about him when there was a clear opportunity to do so? have we ever not taken an opportunity to glorify his name? I'm not saying let's get weird and we'll start parading up and down the street, I'm not saying that would even be helpful or a good way of glorifying Jesus, but are we asking ourselves in our hearts. Is what I'm doing glorifying God? Is are my actions glorifying God with Jesus with my life? I've seen the risen Lord. If you're a follower of Jesus, we've seen, tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We've seen the glory of God, and we've seen Jesus' death and resurrection, and we've experienced that, and it's been pressed into our hearts. And so now we, do we just go back? No, we don't go back. We've been given the Spirit for a reason. We've been commissioned. We've been entrusted. We've been sent. I mentioned at the beginning, Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20, you know, uh, go out, uh, go and make disciples of all nations and baptising in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these, that verse, people parallel it with this one, with the John 20. In fact, I'm not going to get John 20 back on the screen. Uh, yeah. Um, so people parallel it with this one, are saying that in, in Matthew it's very specific, isn't it? Go out into all the world. It's a very cross-cultural mission verse whereas this is very much I think bringing it home sometimes we think we might have to go abroad to be missionaries and so that Matthew 28 verse says oh great I'll give more money to missionaries abroad or maybe I'll think about going abroad myself or something like that but this commission here is about walking in the way that Jesus walked it's about glorifying in every single step that you take it's not about we can't excuse ourselves this verse doesn't Give us a way out. (laughs) As the Father sent the Son, so the Son, so Jesus is sending you. So we want to live lives that bring glory to God. Jesus lived for the glory of the Father to his death. We must live for the glory of Jesus. And for Peter, as we saw in the verses before, that led him to his death. He died uh, crucified in Rome after he left his fishing. But what a privilege it is to display God's beauty, worth and greatness in our lives. So many people now are desperate for actually some kind of meaning in their lives. Um, There's a whole millennial problem, right, of getting bored in their job after about two or three years and then wanting a new job and kind of struggling with what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I think because we're told, kind of rightly I'd suggest, as kids that we're going to do something really meaningful with our lives and so when we don't feel I'm speaking about myself when you feel like you're not doing something meaningful you lose passion and you lose commitment Um, and here if there was any bigger meaning for life I I don't think there is any bigger meaning for life and I think our lives are meant for absolutely great things but we try and find those great things through other ways that don't, through different ways instead we should be finding our meaning our meaning In the fact that we can display God's beauty and his worth and his greatness through our lives, through the way we live our lives. It's our life call. If you've been called, then it's what you're supposed to be doing. If you've seen the resurrected Lord, then it is our commission. It is our mission. It's our glorious mission. And does Jesus have to ask you, do you love me? That's my last point here. Does Jesus have to ask you, do you love me? Or is your life going to show it?